This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 175 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of today? Well, what I can tell you is Dr. Aziz Gazapura is a clinical psychologist and one of the world's leading confidence experts. He teaches people how to rapidly learn confidence so they can eliminate social anxiety and self-doubt, master conversations, accelerate in their careers, and create deeply fulfilling relationships. After struggling with crippling shyness and social anxiety personally for over a decade, Dr. Aziz became determined to find a way to freedom. Through thousands of hours of his own training, counseling, reading, group work, and coaching, he has truly mastered what it takes to transform fear and self-doubt into permanent self-worth and confidence. Dr. Aziz completed his doctoral training at Stanford and Palo Alto Universities and is the founder of the Center for Social Confidence. He is known for his dynamic speaking, humor, disarming vulnerability, and inspiring storytelling. He has a large online following with his podcast and YouTube videos and is the author of four best-selling books, including his most popular, Not Nice. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, my friend. How are you, Dr. Aziz? I'm doing great. Excited to be here, Lisa. Well, this is fantastic. And I have to say this particular subject, your niche market and your level of expertise is exactly for what's going on on the global stage and in the culture of instability and divisiveness and all those other things that are unfortunately playing a part in day-to-day reality for all of us. You couldn't be a more perfect guest. And this is more uh, timely than you realize. So I just want to say thank you for the gift of your time because I can only appreciate and imagine how off the hook you are with your own caseload. I appreciate that. Yes, yes. I mean, there's so, uh, really when it comes down to confidence, it goes way beyond just I can feel comfortable in my own skin, but it really goes to creating connection. That's one of the main results of an increase in confidence. And as you said, right now, uh, there is a there's a major need for greater connection in and across the whole world in in many ways too. Absolutely. So let me just start with asking you when we when we date back to the inception of each of my guest journeys. So uh, you know clearly in the bio, uh, you had indicated that you had your own social anxiety, you had your own hangups and things of that nature that really inhibited you in the confidence domain. So. How did that play out for you, and what was the cathartic moment, aha moment, epiphany that transformed the journey for you, Dr. Aziz? Absolutely. So I, I love that question. I think that if someone's going to become an expert on something or, or obsessed with studying something, the reason generally is that it's significantly a major part of their own lives. And uh, that was the case for me. I mean, I uh, was severely limited by social anxiety for so long, and I think my experience, which is so common for for many people, is we don't see it as, oh, this is something that I could fix or change. We just see it as like some 
quality of our personality. Like, oh, you know, if I get nervous around people, that's just how it is. And some people have really limiting social anxiety, but other people, it's very restricted to certain areas. Like, they're pretty okay. They're pretty comfortable talking to people in social situations, but they don't speak up at meetings at work. Or they're really nervous around people that they think are powerful or authorities or other things. And so their social anxiety is kind of limited to those areas. And they just think that's how it is. Oh, I always get nervous talking to my boss or oh, I hate speaking up in groups. And we just sort of make it our identity. This is how it is. And I did that for, for many, many years. And fortunately for me, it wasn't just in one or two areas because then I could just have avoided those for my whole life. It was everything. I was nervous to talk in front of people. I was nervous to date. I was nervous to uh, just be socially around new people. And so it reached a threshold point where I had to do something and I am I'm so grateful for that threshold of pain because it, you know, set me on this path to get to where I am now. Beautiful. Well, let me ask you then, were you hindered by things such as uh, social conditioning within your family, your upbringing, your community? Um, was it are you were you genetically disposed to that because it was a predominant trait within either or both your mom, your dad? Or what do you think the derivative of that was? Yeah, great question. So there, you know, there, sometimes there's a, there's a parent that models that, you know, like, this is how we got to don't trust people. Don't go talk to them. Look out. Um, you know, I think that the primary source for me was that I was a highly sensitive kid, very emotionally aware and could feel people and feel feelings and, and was, uh, just started more sensitive to the feelings of rejection or dislike. And, um, you know, my parents loving and uh, gave me what they what they could. And I think what was what often is the case is there's there's not a whole lot of um, early awareness and then intervening on that front. So it's kind of like, oh, you're uncomfortable. Just, just go do it. You know, come on, you're, you're fine. And uh, so mm-hmm. the result is there, there starts to be this uh, pattern of avoidance that goes unchecked. And uh, maybe as a little kid, it's not as noticeable. But for most people, it kicks in around the age of 12, 13. That's how it was for me. And then so, you know, how I operate at school and other places, my family doesn't know, my parents don't really know. And I just start to develop this pattern of avoidance that goes unchecked. And so I really see social anxiety not so much as a purely uh, genetic trait where it's like, okay, someone's going to have this. It's more like there's going to be these tendencies or, or dispositions. It's really a, a, the, the nurture side of things where if it's intervened early, you can help someone sensitize to that rejection and develop confidence. But if it's not, then what happens is after a couple years of avoidance, an identity can start to form. That's how it was for me. An identity of, oh man, I guess I'm not as good as other kids. Uh, I guess I'm not desirable. I guess this is who I am. And then we take that identity forward for, I mean, decades, unless it's Mm -hmm. changed. And that was the case for me. Well, going back to your answer in terms of how you you first started off responding and characterizing yourself, you know, as a sensitive child, you know, and this is a whole other show. um, But just very quickly, what I would reference that as otherwise known as is indigo child, right? People who are highly emotionally sensitive, uh, highly emotionally intelligent, people who are tapped into other people's pain, people who are empathic, which again would be very much in alignment with your career choice, your vocation. Um, so you probably picked up on, on altruistic sensitivities that most people were oblivious to if just going strictly based on chronological age and stage of development. Mm, yeah. And you know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because that's something that I have, well, having children of my own has definitely influenced this. And also my wife has helped me see this because I think for a long time it was kind of like, I'm going to get more confident. Okay, now I'm more confident. And there's this illusion or hope that confidence kind of makes you impervious or invincible or, you know, and what what I've come to discover um, through having my own children and then what my wife has helped me see is that I, I am that way that you're describing. I am very empathic and sensitive and, in, you know, in tune. I can feel people. Mm-hmm. And I spent many years trying to <laughs> get rid of that. And uh, what I realize now is that's actually an incredible superpower for the work that I do. And it's really about learning how to, to work with that so I can get the upsides and, and mitigate some of the challenges that come with it. But, and which is really has informed my teaching of confidence in general. So it's not about getting away from who you are to become this image of what you think, mm-hmm. but really discovering who you are and owning that 
and celebrating that and amplifying that. Beautiful. Well, and it, what comes to mind, Dr. Aziz, it's that old adage, you know, where energy introduces you long before you first speak, right? I mean, energy is a universal language. And so whether it be somebody who you've never connected with before, but it's the aura, the presence, the energy they emit when they walk into a room and that personifies confidence. You can tell based on nonverbals. You can, you can tell based on, uh, uh, body image and how one holds themselves to what degree is what's going on inside, because what's going on inside is what permeates out to the external world. And therefore you attract that. It's very much the attractor factor. So whether you're talking about lack or abundance, you're talking about strength versus weakness, uh, confidence versus lack of confidence. Um, what you project out there is very much the boomerang effect of, of what comes back. Correct? Oh, oh, absolutely. And I was just talking about this in one of the my groups that I run last night. What's really fascinating about that, that attractor effect is that when we have, you know, one of the most common things that people come to me for or drawn to is like, how do I stop caring so much what other people think? I, I'm so concerned, you know, with my colleagues, with my even loved ones or a partner or, or strangers, uh, the people on social media. I'm just so honestly, if I if I take my guard down and, and just am totally vulnerable with, with you, I would tell you, like, I, I'm so stressed about that all the time. That's what people will tell me. And so how do I stop caring what other people, stop worrying about what other people think? And what I always drill down when I'm helping someone with that is there's specific things that you are afraid someone's going to think about you. It's not just, oh, they're going to dislike me. That's part of it. But it's like they're specifically going to think or perceive what about you. Oh, and then eventually it comes out. Oh, I'm stupid or I don't know what I'm doing or I'm ugly or what. It's different for everybody. But those things whatever those things are for, for that person, which we all have, those are our own, those are our own criticisms of ourselves that we took on somewhere. Maybe someone else called us that name when we were young and we, and we learned, Oh, that's so bad about me. And then what's going to happen is we're going to actually attract that judgment or that criticism to us yes. until, until we heal it. And so it might seem, Oh, that's so terrible if people judge me this way. And I always tell clients like, no, this is actually a really good opportunity if this happens, this is your chance to really resolve this in a deep way. Because that fear of being called stupid or looked down in that way, that predates this moment or this work meeting or this date. That goes back a long time. And so now is an opportunity to really heal that. So when you mentioned the attractor factor, it made me think of that. And that's it's so powerful to to see that so we can liberate ourselves from it. Beautiful. So before we touch upon your book, because I do want to focus on that, of course, but going back to what you said at the top of the hour, Dr. Aziz, you know, in, in, in terms of connectedness, you know, confidence is very much a correlation to connectedness and the conduit and the relationship, the interchangeable relationship and dynamic at play uh, for both to cohesively exist within the same realm. So in terms of the pandemic, uh, in terms of what you yourself are witnessing with your caseload, your clients, uh, you know, it, as somebody who does a lot of extensive research and stats and things of that nature to know how we're going up, how we're going down, how we're plateauing, um, et cetera, et cetera. What are you most concerned about? Uh, or what are you most surprised about either for the positive or the negative that you're seeing as it relates to confidence in conjunction with the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I would say, and, um, you know, my, my focus is really with, uh, the people, I mean, I, I work with a lot of clients, I run a lot of groups, so I get a lot of exposure and lead workshops and stuff. So I get a lot of exposure to people. And so this is, that's where this answer is coming from. Not so much like, um, maybe large scale research data of the population. I'm less aware of that as I am because I spend all my time working with clients. So, but what I would say is that in my experience, a lot of people are uh, beaten down in some way or demoralized. And it took me a while to notice this because I am such a, a big proponent of, you know, I am not the manager of my circumstances. I'm the creator of my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no matter what 
occurs, we need to find a way to to not let circumstance control our our state and our energy and our focus. And I mean, that's how we lead. That's how we thrive in challenging times. And so that's can that's kind of been my attitude and approach. And I, you know, I'm teaching these groups and running these things and working with people and sort of assuming that we're all doing that. And at some point, it really struck me. This was towards the end of a lot, you know, maybe about November, I was like leading a group and I was like, what's going on? Everyone's energy seems so low. And I just kind of started talking to people one-on-one in the group. And I was like, oh, people are really demoralized. And I'd say the primary thing that I've seen happen is a lot of people have lost a compelling future. Mm-hmm. And this is this is so common in times of challenge and crisis, right? It's like, okay, this challenge is occurring. Oh my gosh, you know, especially with this pandemic, it's continuing. It's not like it's over quickly. It's like it's drawn out and and the end and how it's going to change is uncertain. And the future after it is uncertain. And the ramifications of all the, you know, political and fiscal and monetary policies that are undone and the and the political strife and everything is all uncertain. Mm-hmm. And so we have we have challenge now, and it's, you know, for some people, it's way worse than others, depending upon their sector that they work in and their life and other things. But it's like, there's there's challenge now, or in some ways, you could call it pain now, and the future is is more uncertain than than it typically is, right? There's, there's more un- uncertainty there. So when you get that combination, um, that's sort of a dangerous combo for a disconnection from a compelling future, and every single human needs a compelling future. We need to see that the future can be better. And better doesn't necessarily have to mean like, oh my gosh, everything's rosy or everything goes my way soon. It's, I can I can emotionally feel good in the future. If we perceive emotional and unending emotional pain in the future, uh, then we start to feel a lot of symptoms. We can feel anxious. If you're, you know, I tend to be more a high strung creature. So I go the anxious route. Other people go mm-hmm. more the depressed route. Like, oh no, they get more hopeless and discouraged and helpless. So that's one of the biggest things I've seen. It's one of the biggest concerns that I have. And so I think that's something that I'm constantly advocating and helping people reclaim and discover, which is that you can create a compelling future. And the last thing I'll say about it right now, and then I'll pass it back to you, is that the compelling future isn't just about I'm going to get all the circumstances just the way that I want because you can't, you can't know that in this climate. That's why we got to dig deeper and we got to say, no matter what happens, I'm going to find a way to not just like get through it with white knuckle, but to truly thrive. And sometimes when we have lost a lot in our lives, we can look back and as painful as that time might've seemed on the way down, it actually is the cracking open and the discovery of a whole new phase of our lives. Bingo. And, and so we don't know. We don't know if change is bad in the ways that we think. Or like some people, I was talking to someone who works in finance and he was just like, oh my gosh, all the money printing and this and that. And, you know, the, the twilight of the American empire and China's going to be the new world reserve currency. Ah, you know, <laughs> and he's like so stressed. And I'm like, yeah, may- maybe all those things are unfolding, you know, and and is that really going to be pain in the future for you? And does it have to be? Is there a way we can use right now to upgrade your confidence, your perception of life, your way of relating to life so that you can step into this new era, even if there's lower circumstances that you wouldn't want, and you can still thrive in those. So that's what I'm constantly helping people do. Beautiful. So two things I'll say to that. You're probably quite familiar um, with Byron Katie. So the work of Byron Katie and, you know, and, and, and similar to what you just said there, Dr. Aziz, you know, that's very much indicative of her work. You know, is that true? Right. These are the questions that you're asking yourself. You know, you take what's perceivably a false belief or a false concept to the point where you're getting immobilized by it. You're getting impeded and railroaded by it. And so if you turn the narrative around and you have the intrinsic conversation with yourself and you take whatever it is that you're looking at that's making you wobbly and you ask yourself, is that true? And what evidence is there to support that? And even if that is true, what then can I do going forward in terms of being solution focused as opposed to being problem saturated? And so that's my one point. The second thing that I want to say is, uh, you know, particularly in my platforms of radio, uh, because it doesn't matter who I'm showcasing or what their niche market is or what the messaging is, you know, we come back to current times of how people uh, can cope better based on upon my guest's individual message 
in the midst of a pandemic. And so not unlike myself, I very much share the sentiment. I echo the sentiment that pain is where the growth occurs, because if we're all just going through life and there's nothing to throw us um, off the the day-to-day reality. And for most people, many people, it's preferable, right? People like mediocrity, people like complacency, people like predictability. Um, Even if it means that they're not being challenged, even if it means they're not growing, even if it means they're stagnating and things are stale. Uh, But there's a certain level of, well, you know what, at least this is safe because I Mm. can measure it. And, you know, I can get through it. And, 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 and so this is the difference between when you talk about thrive versus survive. A lot of people are, are quite complicit in their journey of just surviving as opposed to being the warrior, raising the bar, rising and, and overcoming by choosing to be the thriver, the manifester, mm-hmm. the doer, mm-hmm. the believer. So I think whether we're talking about a pandemic or we're talking about any perceivable form of crisis, and that's my background, 25 years of social services and crisis management specifically, um, there was always growth opportunities for the staff, for myself, uh, to reinforce the mission statement, to make sure that we were, in fact, meeting our client demographic. We were, in fact, doing what we said we were doing in terms of walking our talk and being the living, breathing example. So rather than hiding behind a rock, rather than thinking everything's doom and gloom and that, you know, we're in the middle of an apocalypse and the zombies are coming, you know, let's take a look at what is within our control. And for all and each and every one of us, it's attitude. It, it, you know, we can't control necessarily what's happening on the global stage, but what we do uh, in the reality of our day-to-day, in our home, with our children, parenting, showing up with our clients, whatever it is we do for a living, there's still that level of, okay, how do I rise? What do I do differently? What's serving me? Therefore, what's serving other people? What's counterintuitive to the way that I'm perhaps not showing up as my best version of self? And therefore, there is no collective win-win across the board. So I love what you said. I I concur. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I subscribe to it 100%. So let's now, a couple things. So in terms of how to confidently say no without fear of guilt. I know this is a very important message for you and you do a lot of talking on this specifically. So let's talk about the power of no. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, for many people, that especially that I work with, a form of social anxiety. So one form of social anxiety is like, oh, I'm scared to talk to you. I, you know, are you going to judge me? okay, I'm not going to speak up. I'm going to avoid leadership. I'm going to avoid being seen. I'm going to avoid putting myself out there. There's another level of social anxiety that people don't even think of it as social anxiety, but it's actually one layer more adaptive in the sense that instead of just straight up avoidance, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I I will go talk to you. I will put myself out there. I will speak up because I know I need to do that to connect, to get results, to make things happen. But I'm going to put on a persona that is the most pleasing so that you won't you still won't reject me. And that persona is the the nice person mm. persona, which is I'm going to be pleasing. I'm going to be very in tune to what you might want and make sure I give it to you. I'm going to uh, conform my style, my personality, my language to make sure it's pleasing to you. I'm not going to bring up the things that you don't like. I'm not going to be direct with you. And I don't want to say no to you because if I say no to you, maybe you'll be upset with me and you won't like me. That's kind of the, the narration of the of the unconscious approach of, uh, of the nice person persona. And one of those big pieces is the no. And so when we are trying to please people and accommodate them by avoiding saying no, we're basically putting a ticking clock on that relationship, on yes. that engagement. It's just a matter of time. And, and here's the thing. I mean, a lot of people who don't even consider themselves too nice or socially anxious or whatever, they they have a hard time being clear with what they want, with what they don't want, with what's working, with what's not working. And so we don't need to pathologize it. We just need to say, yeah, this is an uncomfortable part of relationships, of connections. They're, They're messy and they could be uncomfortable. But like anything else, you said, you know, pain is where the growth is. Like we, we got to lean into discomfort in life mm-hmm. or else uh, it, that area of our life starts to erode. And the same thing with these relationships. That means we need to lean in to saying the no. And it starts with discovering what is a yes here and what is a no here for me. 
And so it's a very simple question, but it's like in this scenario, what do I want? And sometimes people think, oh my gosh, that's so selfish. You should be asking, you know, what, what, what does everyone want and what's a win-win here and what do they want? And, you know, yes, and we, we need to start with what do I want so we, we, we know that's part of the equation because most nice people are trying to, if they try to negotiate or compromise, they've already pre-compromised before the yes. conversation even starts. And so I'm starting with like only 20% of what I really wanted because I don't even want to say what I really want because what if you judge me for it? So we gotta, it's, it's more about being fully authentic. And that's one of the things I say is the opposite of nice isn't to be a jerk or to be intentionally mean or cruel. The opposite of nice is to be real, is to be authentic. And part of that means saying no when we need to. Absolutely. Well, you said a couple of really profound things there. I'm going to try it. I've got a couple of thoughts here. I'm going to try and keep them hold, um, hold and juggle them both here. So, you know, if you pose the question to majority of people, you know, is it more important for you to be liked or is it more important for you to be respected? Most people will err on the side of being liked because they don't want to rock the apple card court. And any type of perceivable adversity um, or controversy, the biggest fear people have is abandonment and rejection. And so if we play a complicit role, which I believe is in the demise of our own spirituality and the integrity of our own soul and upholding our own moral compass, um, then you're absolutely right when you say that it's just a matter of time. It's a ticking time bomb that those relationships are going to implode because it's starting off on, on, on the wrong footing. It's starting off with a veil of deception. You're deceiving yourself and you're decepting those whom you're engaging with, expecting mm. that you're going to have some form of meaningful outcome or relationship when it's all premised on something that's not even real to begin with. Um, so I absolutely agree with that. And, and I think too, the other thing that you touched upon just to further extrapolate for a moment, Dr. Aziz is, um, when you, as you said, you're, you're starting off at a 20%, right? It, you're, it's because if you're not, if you're not real with yourself and this, this is where I don't understand. And again, it's because we're all committed. Some people are committed to doing the work. Some people are not committed to doing the work. And when you're committed to doing the inner work, it's very isolating. It's very painful. And you have to face a lot of truths within yourself and going forward to face and show up with the rest of the world. What are my standards? What are my non-negotiables? What will I put up with? What will I not put up with? Where can I negotiate? Where will I not negotiate, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you're not completely clear with where you stand within yourself, then you can't measure anything that is perceivably superficial by not doing the internal work to begin with to go, okay, this is my barometer for measurement. This is what makes me realize that I'm truly being authentic or I am in alignment or I am integral with self. And unless we each sign up to do the work on figuring out and establishing that and defining that very clearly within ourselves, then we're always going to waffle in our relationships with other people. We're always going to feel the inequity with other people. We're always going to feel like we've lost our souls in some cases to relationships that were never meant to be a part of our lives other than to learn the tough lessons of what to do differently going forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate you having raised those points. So getting back to your book, let's talk about your most recent book, the one uh, that is on your radar currently speaking. Let's talk about where people can get the book. Let's talk a little bit about the book specifically uh, and why it's important for people to get their hands on a copy. Sure. Um, so the most recent book that I have released is called On My Own Side. Um, and mm -hmm. it was about transform uh, self-doubt and uh, self-criticism into permanent self-worth and confidence. And this one it was so essential because, you know, most people are, are try to get confidence by having a, you know, I'm going to be able to go do it. I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm, I'm just going to just going to go do it. And, and they might work up a little bit of, you know, frenzy of courage and then they'll try for a little while and then it, and then they get stuck in the same patterns and it's frustrating. And then, oh, this is just who I am. And so I got tired of just you know hearing that story so many times. I said, you know, the most powerful thing I do with clients, you know, we, we focus, they want to look at the strategy. What, how do I start the conversation? And what's the most effective way to public speak and all these things. And there, there's strategy, sure. But 
you know, 90% of it, you talked a lot about the inner work, right? It's like 90% of it or more is you and your energy. And, and, Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest drain on people's confidence, the thing that just hemorrhages it the most is a out of control, usually multi-decade inner critic that incessantly runs that they don't have any control over that just dominates them. That's just, you know, and for some people it's really intense, you know, someone who's suicidal or something that's really intense, but a lot of people it's not, you know, they're functional, but it's just, it is significantly impacting their life. It truly on on a day-to-day basis, it is diminishing happiness, creating anxiety, creating insecurity, limiting confidence. And so I said, we got to get a control of this voice inside of our, of our heads. And what the way I describe it is on my own side, because most, most of us are not on our own sides. We, we jump ship and we, we get, you know, yeah. it's almost like we're looking yes. at ourselves from the outside and saying, oh, what a loser. This, this is no good. You're doing terrible here and that's not right. And this isn't good. And why did you make that mistake? And it's ruthless. And we don't treat ourselves in any way the same that we would with someone that we love. And so that book is really designed to help highlight that pattern. In fact, part one is called Insanity because, you know, we think it's normal because it's so common, because it's just in our heads, because it's been there for a long time. But just because something is familiar doesn't mean it's healthy or doesn't mean it uh, sets us up to win. And it doesn't even mean it's authentic. Like those are two very different things. And so we want to become aware of this, start to separate and distinguish ourselves from that voice. And then, you know, step into the, the tools to be able to intervene and completely transform our relationship to where we can truly be on our own sides. And when we do this, it's like trying to move through life with a massive headwind that's just like pushing you back. And if you've ever biked or run into a headwind, it's it takes a ton of effort to move through life. And that's how we're doing it. We either have direct self-attack where we're telling ourselves you're stupid, you should have done that, what's wrong with you? Or it could be indirect and more subtle. It's like this, this background feeling of, I'm not okay as I am. I should be better. I should be different. And that is like pushing us backwards in life. And when we get that critic under control and we re- we regain our lives in a way, you can move towards what you want in life with so much more ease without that headwind. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I'd, I'd like to hear from your perspective a little bit more in detail. When we're talking about the relationship between resistance versus ease and, and, and AKA being in flow in one's life, being in flow within one's own energy field. Um, so some people might, and I, I, again, I see things from all schools of thought. I very much operate within the gray. Um, so, you know, resistance can very much be, uh, an indicator or a criteria or a tester of each of us. Okay. To what degree do you really want it? To what degree are you going to, uh, what, what lengths are you going to go to? How often are you going to fight for something that you fundamentally believe in? But at what point do you do the evaluation introspective process and go, okay, when we're talking about risk versus reward, or we talk about gains versus, um, uh, losses, perhaps, what is the fine balance? You know, what do we relinquish? What do we surrender? What do we continue to persevere through when we talk about the the relationship between how much resistance is acceptable versus how much it's being counterintuitive in terms of encroaching upon us wanting to ideally be within flow? Like, can we talk a little bit about that dynamic? Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, what you're describing there is that the decisions we make in life, whether to continue or pursue, whether to let go, whether to shift, you know, nothing is, is cut and dry. I like to often say with clients, it's a choose your own adventure. And so you get to choose, you get to choose, like, is this relationship I've had enough? I, I, we've been working on it for this many years and, and yes, maybe we're going to break through in another three years, but I just, I I need to make a shift or, you know, I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to stay with this path, even though it's not quite working, but I think there's something here. Like you get to choose that. And so how do you know, I would say that what we're talking about here around niceness, you know, going back to that question of what do I really want here? And then going to this topic of the critic is the inner critic and all its demands about how you should be can make it very hard to hear that inner truth. 
because we slow down and listen and say, what do I want? And it's like, you got to get to this result. You got to become this person like, ah, you know, and that's what I think mm-hmm. I want. But it's really that's just the top layer. It's fear. It's trying to be something. And so I need to I need to be able to work with that critic and say, OK, some part of me thinks I need to be this way. Let's go a little deeper. And when we're making choices, if if certain choices like we don't have permission to make because that's a bad or unacceptable thing, quote unquote, then we're not really free to choose. So for example, someone's pursuing a certain career path and they want to make a change. And then in their, in their mind, it's like, that's totally unacceptable because you can't do that because that would be foolish because that would be stupid because you put all this time and money into this career and you already have all these accolades and successes. What's wrong with you? Then we're not really free to choose. So we have to be able to silence that critic or at least not have it um, control our thought process and say, okay, let, let's, let's find what's, what's really true here. And I find that when we really are able to settle, that the answer becomes clear. That there is, a, there is an intelligence within and that we can tune into that by, by dropping that critic and the pressures of what we think we're supposed to do and give ourselves total permission. And one thing I love to do with clients to help them with this is I call it CSI, complete <laughs> self-interest. You know, because my clients are so accommodating other people. I'll say, okay, okay, I get what you want to do here. And yes, you don't want to let this person go from your company because, oh my gosh, you know, that would hurt them so bad and you'd be so mean. Let me just ask you a question here. If you are operating with CSI, and I give them their name, so their name's like, you know, Joe. It's like CSI Joe. What would CSI Joe here? Complete self-interest. And everyone would be okay with it. Everyone would be fine. Just, just as a thought experiment, what would you do here? And every time I've run that experiment and really got the client in that state of complete, they know exactly. They're just like, well, I would do this. I'd tell them no. And I, and I let them go. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about how to do that. Or let's work on the feelings that make that so uncomfortable. So I think we really do have that inner knowing. And sometimes it's just us knowing ourselves. And sometimes we need to settle and we need to you know, be more receptive to that, uh, the greater intelligence that's guiding us. And the answers are in there too. Lovely. Well, if we could just very quickly, Dr. Aziz, being cognizant of time, if we could just talk a little bit about uh, free will, right? So, you know, how do you know, because we all, we all come from uh, a different framework based upon our own experiences, our own conditioning, to what degree, uh, you know, we're all operating at different levels of self-awareness. Some people have signed up to do the, the inner work. Some people have ascended uh, and transformed a little bit quicker than perhaps other people, not to make it out like it's a hierarchy or a judgment. Um, but let's just say you've got two individuals, right? You've got two individuals and one person, um, you know, because we have different communication styles or we have different approaches to strategizing and overcoming and combating a problem, you know, one person really wants to remain committed and it not come across as lip service when they say, I'm in it to win it. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to be, I'm not a quitter. I'm not just going to bail when things don't always go according to plan or they don't go necessarily my way. But at what point do you cut the the cord on that if you feel like you're constantly running up against interference and but but not knowing um you know if the interference is just the universe's way of testing you in a different way of having to go deeper within without things being spoon-fed to you necessarily or being one-dimensional in the way it's being um given to you on a platter at what point do you reconcile within yourself? Okay, this is the universe testing me. To what degree am I going to hold true to what I declared? But by holding true to what I declared, I'm not compromising the integrity of myself or the boundaries uh, that I've asserted here, not only with myself, but with other people in communicating very articulately. You know, now this is crossing into the domain of this doesn't feel right. It's starting to feel unhealthy. But you know, when you talk about unconditional love or you talk about temperance or you talk about, um, you know, taking the good with the bad, how do you balance all of that? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I think I'd be aware of fixed perspectives of like, this is how it is. And so some of those statements in there are fixed perspectives we can have. Like, you know, that's our, our, our mind or our awareness can lock into this is how it is. That's a fixed perspective, right? You know, um, and, you know, so 
I, I don't, I don't quit or I don't quit when the going gets tough or, um, uh, you know, I, no matter what I'm in or something like that, that that's a fixed perspective. And I think that there can be a period of time where that is a useful tool. And we all, we want to be aware though, that we're just constantly, or we're just constantly and, and consciously choosing perspectives. And so if that perspective serves me for a while, I will use that. And at mm-hmm. some point, though, it's helpful to remember and see, I just pick that. That's not how it is in some grand design of reality. That's just a lens through which I was seeing this situation because it served me at the time. You know, my uh, my beloved, my wife, we've been together for 10 years. And before she was with me, she was with a partner who had some you know, amazing qualities. Uh, they were together for 10 years as well. Amazing qualities, just really brilliant man in business and, and very athletic and outdoorsy and just opened her world up to outdoors and climbing and adventures and and uh, and he had this other side of him that was very uh, dark and would go very aggressive and uh, torment her in, in many ways you know so and she was constantly trying to grow and um, you know she was a spiritual teacher and so there was some sense of like ah we can transcend this and you know and mm-hmm. just years years and years and years of growth and trying and breakthrough and then not working and you know um, and at some point she realized like this is not what i want this is not what i need this is not there's something better for me that's mm-hmm. possible and so in any time if we're making a change and if we're saying okay i said i was going to do this thing and now i'm changing oh my gosh how bad of me to stop this thing or to quit quote unquote and i would say what if you're redirecting your energy towards something better and because you can think about another message like, I'm going to go, I'm going to create this thing. And you just keep hitting your head against the brick wall. You could say, hey, how respectable. I'm never quitting. But you might never get past that brick wall. True. <laughs> you know? So could you go a different direction and have you know a much better experience uh, of life? And I think that's what the choice that she made. And obviously, I'm extremely grateful that she did. But I, I really do think that it it benefits the not just me and in our children, but the broader world to have her energy freed up in that way. And so I think that oftentimes the reason that sometimes people don't make the change uh, and they cling to that old perspective of, but I said I was going to do this or whatever, is that they're afraid of the sense of shame mm. that they might experience from breaking that fixed perspective. It's like, well, I, I quit and I said I would never quit. So I'm, I must be a really, you know, unlovable or unrespectable person. And, you know, sometimes we can just allow ourselves to just be human (laughs) and humans start things and humans stop things. And I never quit on anything. That's a great pride position. You could hold to that and proclaim that and be better than other people for that. But you know what? Most of us start things and stop things. Most of us never always do something or never do something. We're in the middle. And I just say, hey, whatever commitment we made or decision we made from six months ago or six years ago, that might need to get updated with new data, new information. You know, I worked with a client one time who's, you know, a high-functioning MD, and he wanted to make a major change in his career. And he's like, but I spent so much time to get to here And it's not, you know, and I can't make this change, but he was like dying inside. His soul was Mm -hmm. suffocating. And so, you know, can we invite more softness and gentleness and mercy and curiosity and wonder and say, what, what am I being called to now? Those decisions I made nine years ago, is that really vital and alive? And the one thing just to round this out is what you mentioned is like, yeah, we want to ask these questions with curiosity, with depth, with patience, not just like, oh, this is hard. I quit. You know, if it's Mm -hmm. that kind of quick impulsive, but if we just, if we're really sitting with it and we feel like it's banging our heads against the wall endlessly, it's time to update. It's time to upgrade. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate both those examples, the MD and your wife. Um, So thank you for sharing, because I know that that's going to shift the paradigm um, and offer a deeper meaning uh, for what we've been communicating. And I believe you've effectively communicated here with the global listening audience and the podcast subscribers. So I want to thank you. Personal examples are always the best way to illustrate getting the, the larger, deeper, more profound meaning across. And you achieved that. So thank you for that. 
Um, so being cognizant of time, Dr. Aziz, you know, I'd like to give you the opportunity for any question that you felt was paramount that I ask of you, but perhaps I did not ask of you. This is your opportunity to impart your final messages or uh, whatever especially takeaways, breakthroughs you would hope would resonate with the listening audience and the podcast subscribers. What can you touch upon that perhaps I didn't elicit out of you? Oh, I love that. Well, I mean, I think you ask a ton of great questions across a lot of different areas. So I think, you know, the main thing would just be to encourage, if you're listening to this, to to reflect on what it is that you are learning from this. And then how can that learning inform or turn into action i'm a big believer that you know if we if we listen to something we want to do something with that information uh, lest it just be kind of um entertainment and you know heck, it's not a bad form of entertainment it's probably better than a lot of <laughs> types of entertainment but and, <laughs> and doing something doesn't have to mean like you run out and conquer the world because as we've been talking a lot of the doing is like is is a, is upgrading our our inner uh, mindset and the way that we treat ourselves or the, you know, uh, way that we perceive ourselves and life. So it, sometimes it's that inner work, you know, and you mentioned Byron Katie and that work. And people always ask me like, what's the best thing? Is it this or should I do that? And I'm just like, well, anything you do consistently, just test it out and see how it works for you. Because that's, that's better than nothing. That's better than dabbling here and there. So find some practice, whether it's meditation or the work or journaling or, you know, something and do it for a while and then change it as, as you need to, because it will have served you for that time. So turn what you're learning into action. And the other thing I'll share is, you know, there's kind of one, if you are, if you're struggling with niceness or social anxiety on anything that we've touched on, the key takeaway is that is not who you are. That is not how it has to be, even though that might seem extremely familiar and all you know. Something so much better is possible. And I've seen that not just in my own life, but I've you know, touched thousands of people with my work. I, I work with hundreds of clients and groups, and I just see this process again and again. So, um, and in fact, I have a, an ebook called Five Steps to Unleash Your Inner Confidence. And if people go to draziz.com, you can get it for free, and it teaches you the five steps that I that I guide everyone through. So just know that you're not stuck. It, it's change is possible. And then the second thing I'll say is, it's it's uncomfortable to shift to to grow, and it's so worth it. It is so yes. worth it because what I've seen with this confidence journey, and so many people I've helped with this, people come in, they think, okay, I'm coming in to get more comfortable in this situation, or I just want to stop worrying about what these people think of me. And what they find as over the course of our time working together is like their soul awakens, their life purposes awaken. They they come alive because it's really this is a journey from anxious and restricted and self-critical to to a hundred percent unapologetically living as you, living the life that you're meant to live. And authenticity goes way beyond, you know, what words you use and what clothes you wear. Authenticity goes to how you show up every moment of your life, what work you pursue, um, where you focus your energy and your intention and what you create in this life. And so there is so much possible. Beautiful. And confidence has an infinite upside potential that I'm always exploring the leading edge of. I, I don't always uh, get around for one reason or another because my guests and I sometimes go off on tangents and then we run out of time for me to pose the question uh, but we still have a couple of minutes here so you very clearly in in my depiction my understanding my characterization of what it would be for one to embolden having lived fearlessly uh, but what does living fearlessly mean to you specifically oh I love that I would say is a common phrase I'll tell people is do what scares you until fear has no power to stop you Love and it. do what scares you in the service of something greater. So to me, that's what it is to live fearlessly. It doesn't mean that I don't have things. I never experienced anxiety. I never, you know, feel nervous. It's like, well, that's a, that's a strange kind of flat experience of life. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know, what are you, are you going to take risks? Are you going to step into the unknown? Are you going to have adventures? Well, then you're probably going to feel nervous at times, especially if you're testing your edge. Great. And 
let's do it though because it's worth it so to me i love the title of the show you know living fearlessly and that's what it means to me um so i just want to say i very much appreciate the gift of your time i think this has been a very instrumentally important uh conversation particularly in the midst of what we're all collectively and globally sitting in and of course people respond to things quite differently and people are for the most part always receptive to nuggets uh information opportunities resources in which to get beyond whatever their perceivable crisis is or their uh what they feel debilitated by what they feel handcuffed by so you brought a lot to the show today and i know it's going to have huge impact and resonance with the radio listeners around the globe as well as to the podcast subscribers so for all of that i want to say very much appreciative to you. Uh, I thank you for your servant leadership. I thank you for the ways in which you're giving back, being of service and paying it forward to the collective. You're always welcome to come back on to Living Fearlessly in the future with Lisa McDonald. I want to say to the listening audience, thank you very much for the gift of your time, for tuning in to myself and Dr. Aziz today. Really uh, impress upon you to play back the podcast, pause, take notes. In fact, reach out to Dr. Aziz. He's a wealth of information. He knows what he's talking about and he's inspired huge instrumental change in the lives of thousands and thousands of people. I would highly encourage you to also get a copy of his book. I also want to make it very clear that I too am very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Until next week when we're back with yet another phenomenal guest, I want to wish you all my very best. Love and gratitude to each and every one of you. Please stay safe, stay stay healthy, and stay uplifted. And to you as well, my friend. Thank you, Dr. Aziz. Take care. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and AHA That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.